And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. Here he is, Michael Savage. Whoa, hush up a second, okay? I've got one more thing to say. I've just signed another $200 million drawdown for the Department of Defense for Ukraine, and that'll be coming quickly. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, welcome back to the uh, Savage Nation podcast. I saw you on Newsmax yesterday, and I thought that your, your statements were so well measured that I wanted to speak with you as soon as we could, because Zelensky's got the begging cup out right now in Washington. Again, he still hasn't changed his act, nor his outfit, nor his verbiage. I mean, at least the man could get a used suit somewhere. And there must be a used suit somewhere in Europe that he could find for all that money we sent them. He still can't buy a suit. I mean, it's silly to talk about this when so many hundreds of thousands of young men have been killed for nothing. But Fred, I titled today's podcast. You were very nuanced. You actually said we should fund Israel. Let's start at the beginning. You said we should fund Israel unequivocally because they are fighting for their survival, but not Ukraine. Could you explain to the audience the difference here? Uh, Israel was subjected to a, a an attack by terrorists, which was genocidal, resulted in the deaths of 1,300 Israelis. Israelis were taken hostage and Gaza was made into a terrorist uh, base of operations, a safe haven. And it's something that Israel simply can't stand for, for its security. Ukraine is completely different. In a perfect world, uh, you know, we all want Ukraine to win and to throw the Russians out. But we saw a whole year of combat, the so-called counteroffensive staged by Ukraine. It gained nothing in 2023. The Russians were far more dug in and used far more sophisticated and unsophisticated defenses. Very good tank traps, uh, very good landmines, landmines much tougher than the U.S. anticipated. There's a landmark New York Times story today about how the Biden administration is actually contemplating pressing Ukraine to take on a defensive strategy in, in which it will shift to defending itself, uh, rebuilding its country, uh, working with allies uh, to make make it impossible for Russia to resume the, the offensive, hoping to push Russia into negotiations. But the most important thing I heard in this, Michael, is that someone in the Pentagon said in the New York Times, we're worried that Ukraine 2024 will look like World War I in 1916, mm. when thousands of men lost their lives defending an entrenched position that did not change through an entire year. And I think that's what we're facing unless we change course. Savage. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Middle East on the brink. North Korea on the brink. Iran increasing its aggression. Elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, gold 
Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989-898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989-898 with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers. I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989-898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. I had Colonel McGregor on a while ago, and he says that his numbers of the number of Ukrainian dead are over 300,000 or something even higher than that. Do you have any numbers? I know it sounds almost macabre to talk about dead men like just a number, but I, I turned on CNN. And they were boasting about how many Russians had died in the war just before Zelensky walked in with Biden. Like they were boasting that 97 percent of the Russian troops were killed and was supposed to celebrate this. How many men have died on each side, Fred? Is I don't have any- statistics for you. I don't think they're as high as 300,000. There's no question far more Russians have died. But Russia has a population much larger than Ukraine. It can absorb these losses, and it's willing to. So and we know through history, that's how Russia and the Soviets have fought wars. They've lost very badly. They threw men to the battlefield, to, to, to the battle line to die as fodder until they eventually slugged it out and won a victory. And that's what Putin's doing again. It's, it's a war of attrition, the yes. Russian method, which is to grind the enemy down because they're a big country with a huge population and people forget how vast Russia actually is. Uh, If you look at World War II, just in a capsule, when Hitler thought Russia was on its feet, they brought in a million troops from Siberia on skis and and, and the Wehrmacht was overrun. They had no idea where these men came from. Meanwhile, tanks were being built in factories in the Urals inside mountains. So Russia has resources that we, the naive American Americans don't understand, uh, which is not making me a Putin apologist. I can't stand hearing that anymore because I believe you could easily say that those who were supporting Zelensky in the most absurd ways are a Zelensky apologist. Look, I I like Zelensky. I think Zelensky is a hero. I give the Ukrainians a great deal of credit for their fighting. And look, I'm attacked by people saying, look, you're a Putin supporter. It would be wrong if Putin wins. It's going to threaten democracy. It's going to embolden Iran and China. I think all those things are true. And those are issues we should have dealt with a year to 18 months ago. If we had deterrence, we could have stopped this war. If we had armed Ukraine properly, the war wouldn't have gone this far. That's not where we are right now. We're living in a different world. And we have to deal with the situation today. And the reality is we're going to have to make some painful compromises and not just wish them away because we don't like to make them. Well, that's that's quite a statement when you consider that eight million Ukrainians at least have fled the country into mainly Europe, Poland and other countries, that the population is 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 diminished, running from the war, draft dodging is rampant. 
They're actually conscripting pregnant young women, according to videos I have seen. And we're not seeing any of this in the, in the mainstream media. This is not to say I'm supporting Putin and cheering for Putin. I'm saying this is a disaster for a small nation that could have, according to the reports we've all read a year ago, um, I, I read this report this morning. There's a large article uh, that was everywhere, and we posted it on my own website, unheard.com, a great article. Did you see this one, Fred, about Zelensky? I don't think I've seen it, but I know what you're talking about, that Zelensky and Russia were interested in a ceasefire. Is that what you mean? Zelensky on the way out. It's by Thomas Fozzi in unheard.com. Fabulous article, but that apparently uh, there was there were talks, uh, serious talks of a uh, settlement a year ago. And Boris Johnson, they said, insisted that Ukraine not yield. That he pushed- I think the Biden administration also insisted on that. OK, because they, they don't want to give Putin a win. I don't want to give Putin a win. And that could have been prevented, as I said earlier. And, uh, you know, the demographics of Ukraine are, are going to be in such bad shape after this war because they've lost a generation of young men. And they're losing more. I don't know that they're uh, uh, they're drafting pregnant women, but it wouldn't surprise me. They're certainly drafting, uh, you know, men much older than you. I mean, you and I would be in the army if we were in Ukraine right now. <laughs> well, at least I'd lose weight in the trenches. I wouldn't have to worry about. I wouldn't have they're to worry so, about so a. For, for, I wouldn't be wor- worried about. A, I wouldn't be worried about a vegan diet, Fred. <laughs> Look, it's good to laugh in this face of horrible disaster. I have a. a you know, a terrible sense of humor. Sometimes this is not a funny issue. Hundreds of thousands of young men have died on both sides. And Zelensky continues to stick to his narrative. They call it a maximalist victory at all costs narrative that Ukraine must go on fighting until it retakes every inch of lost territory, including Crimea, and that and that they should not negotiate with Putin. I think this is madness. What do you think? I've been arguing that on your show several times, and I wish I was wrong. And at times I thought I was wrong. It looked like the Ukrainians were going to pull it out. Ah. And I had high hopes for this counteroffensive. Everyone said this was going to turn the tide of the war. Uh, I mean, uh, 11 months ago, 10 months ago, we were told, you just wait. The Ukrainians have the weapons they need. They're going to push it back. Um, There's a way for Ukraine to win. If we don't want Putin to win, if we don't want Russia and China to be involved, there's a way to win. We have to send in American troops. Oh, God. If we don't send in American troops, we have to find another solution because throwing weapons in endlessly as Ukraine runs out of troops, that's not a winning solution. Well, you're not calling for sending in troops, are you? No, of course not. But those people who are telling me it's outrageous if Putin wins, it's a threat to democracy. Fine. Put your money where your mouth is. That's where you are. Make a case for sending in American troops. Savage. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. What kind of democracy are we supporting when he has closed down all opposition media, canceled the presidential elections for next year, silenced his critics, assassinated some of his critics abroad, I don't see Ukraine as a democracy, Fred. I have to disagree with you by what I see looking in from the outside. In fact, his own people are saying, I think it was uh, Kiev Mayor Klitschko publicly supported Zaluzhny's comments about the war, stating that Zelensky was paying for mistakes he made. And uh, he went on to say that if we keep this up, 
Zelensky will turn Ukraine into Russia, the very country we're fighting. Those are his own people saying that. Yeah, I, I don't see it that way. There have been reports of Ukrainian agents killing traitors and, and defectors in Russia. Look, war is hell. I don't support that. I understand it. Have Has democracy taken a hit during this war? Yes, it has, because Ukraine is in the middle of a very bloody war. These things happen. But we have to call for Ukraine to move back to being an effective democracy and and, and, a, and a, a, a very successful, uh, with a very successful economy. These issues, I'm prepared to put them off for now. I'm troubled by them, but I also recognize that this is a nation facing an existential crisis. But they're robbing a lot of our money. I mean, I saw a U.S. senator the other day, our congressman from the Midwest. I wish I remembered his name. He said, we're not giving them another dime unless they give us accountability, for example. We don't know where the money's going. We don't know how much of it's flowing right back to American uh, politicians. And then there's the division, Fred, that I read about, the division between Zelensky and Ukraine's commander-in-chief, General Valery Zaluzhny, who told The Economist that the war with Russia had reached a stalemate and, as you said, was evolving into a long war of attrition in which Russia has the advantage. You just said that. And so now Zaluzhny and Zelensky are now fighting with each other and they have equal popularity in Ukraine. I don't think the Ukrainian people want to see more of their young men dead, Fred. So where do you see as a strategist, former CIA analyst and a wonderful man on on the media who is is expounding brilliance and intelligence, I think a centrist position. What do you think is going to happen? I I think that because of the brutality of the war, if Zelensky decided to settle and had an election, he'd lose. Ah. I mean, I, I, I think there, there's a real concern that we're tired of Ukrainian young men and women dying in the war. But I think the brutality of the war that that's where what I'm hearing. So that might be one reason. For you mean that he can't reasons. you mean he can't back out because he's had this maximalist approach victory to Ukraine. We're going to take back everything, including Crimea. So now if he if he yields at all, he's a loser to them. I I, I mean, I have been told that, but I, I think a case could be be made that they have to move in another direction. And if we had a U.S. president who said, look, this is the way it's going to be. Either you agree to pursue peace talks or we're cutting off military aid. I think Zelensky could make a pretty strong case and he would win popular support. But I think what we're seeing here is the politician who's pandering to the Ukrainian people who hate the Russians and the military strategist who says we just can't win. We need another approach. I'm reading from this article, and it says Zelensky's position is looking increasingly isolated. As Simon Schuster, funny, it's a funny name, wrote in Time magazine, quote, Zelensky's associates themselves are extremely skeptical about the current policy, describing the president's belief in Ukraine's ultimate victory over Russia as, quote, immovable, verging on the messianic. You agree with that, messianic? I I hear that, and I know there's people who think that. I'm hoping that Zelensky will be more flexible. Uh, and look, he has his position. We know what it is. But it's also the position of the British and the French and, and the Americans. And if he had in, any interest in negotiations, his Western supporters weren't interested. So is it messianic or has he sort of been pushed into this position by Biden and, and, uh, uh, and the UK? Oleksiy Arestovich, Zelensky's former presidential advisor, now turned into a critic of his, 
wrote recently at, quote, the war could have ended with the Istanbul agreements and a couple of hundred thousand people would still be alive, end quote. And she was referring or he was referring to a round of peace talks that took place in March and early April 2022, mediated by Turkey. And it says that Russian and Ukrainian negotiators had reached a tentative agreement on the outlines of a negotiated interim settlement where Russia agreed to withdraw troops along the lines prior to February 24, 2022, in exchange for Ukraine's neutrality. But the deal was allegedly blocked by Boris Johnson and representatives of the American State Department and the Pentagon. I think we touched on that. And we know it goes all the way back to the Biden administration, doesn't it? You know, Biden's position has been very inflexible. We can't let Putin win. He's he's a threat to democracy. And any Republicans who think otherwise are collaborating with Putin. It's part of this old narrative of trying to tar and feather Republicans as collaborators with Putin. And I'm hoping what we read in the New York Times today about a new approach by the Biden administration, that this article spoke for Biden. I'm worried that it didn't. I think that there are people in the Pentagon who are breaking with Biden, who know this strategy isn't working and are floating ideas, hoping they can change Biden's mind. Well, how is Biden going to get Congress to approve these funds when there's a whole block of uh, Americans, for one, represented by many Republicans who don't want any more money going to Ukraine at all? They want that border closed. And I think it's so cynical of Biden to one day say the border is fine and secure with that. That DHS guy who just gets me so agitated when I watch him saying the border is secure when tens of thousands are coming over every day now. And using that as a negotiating tool, okay, we'll do something on Ukraine. Uh, We'll give money to Ukraine if you'll do something on the, you know, we'll give you a little bit on the border. What what kind of country is this that our national interests don't come first? It's upside down. I think one of the biggest scandals in history is how Joe Biden has refused to secure our southern border and did it deliberately. deliberately. He did. They broke the border and we can give both of us a thousand reasons what they're thinking is of diluting the American population with third worlders who have no loyalty to this nation. Number one, there are so many other aspects that are so horrible to think of. This is the one issue that gets me agitated more than any, because these people, five, eight million of them, they're not going anywhere. They have no loyalty to this country. Nobody knows where they came from. They're not vetted. And the country's being overrun as if by a foreign army. And we're hearing that they're saying, okay, we'll control it a little bit if you give us another $100 billion for Ukraine. Sorry, something's wrong with the picture. So in Ukraine itself, before we shift to Israel, I know your time is limited. There are, there are things going on in Ukraine. Families of soldiers have started taking to the streets, demand they cap on military service time and the return of those men who have served 18 months or more, as well as information about the 15,000 soldiers who have gone missing in action. And there's a petition demanding a change to mobilization rules that's reached the 25,000 signature threshold for presidential consideration. Well, that's Zelensky. He wants more troops, but there's massive draft dodging. Uh, We don't know where this is going to go. We'll have to watch what happens. But um, there is a demand by Ukraine, not only for money from us, but it says New aid pledges to Ukraine have fallen to the lowest level since the start of the war, according to the German-based Kiel Institute's Ukraine aid tracker. 
EU member states have been struggling for months, I read, to reach an agreement on a $50 billion aid package in addition to our money to Ukraine. And the reason that EU hasn't gone along with it is only due to Hungary's opposition. And Europe itself is tired of the war in Ukraine, as Maloney of Italy recently told two Russian pranksters posing as officials with the African Union. So Germany and the British diplomatic circles we read are saying that negotiations with Moscow would be in Ukraine's best interest. So do you think that the edifice is starting to crack, Fred? I think so. And and th- this has been going on for some time that French, British and German officials have told Zelensky that you're not going to win this. You have to start negotiating. And uh, there are populations in Europe, they're tiring of this war also. I think what's most remarkable in the current situation now is that Republicans in the Senate and in the House are actually standing up for something. They're standing up for the border. <laughs> they're yeah. saying, you know, we're just not going to give you this money, Mr. President, unless you do something serious on the border. And when Biden says, well, look, this is so urgent. Just pass this now. I'll give you the border. I'll give you the, the border money later. They don't believe him, understandably, nope. because Biden has treated them so badly throughout his presidency. So I'm wondering whether there will be no money for Ukraine from Congress. Well, what happened? I want to. So we see Schumer uh, and and McConnell marching Zelensky in. Zelensky looks like uh, almost like a a, a uh, like he was captured somewhere, like an animal. <laughs> I, he he was wearing again that absurd outfit. He hasn't upgraded his Castro like outfit, which doesn't play in America. The guerrilla fighter just in from the front. It's kind of pathetic. It's an act. Everyone knows he's not on the front lines. He could even be hiding in a bunker in Poland for all we know, doing his videos. We don't know where he is actually, when he's doing these videos. Nobody knows. Then there are rumors that he's been sacking the treasury of Ukraine with aid money. I keep seeing reports that he bought two yachts for $100 million. Then they say they haven't sold. Then they say they haven't. Let's say it's not true. There's a lot of money disappearing, Fred, and people are starting to see it. You see it on the on the internet, You know, which is actually the town forum today. Twitter is really the town forum, which is why they want to shut it down. They don't like us talking to each other, even though there's a lot of nonsense and hatred on it. It's the town square, and you get a little nuts in the town square, too. You just have to throw them out of the town square when they appear. Savage. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. So let's shift to Israel, Fred, if we can. We read that Hamas's northern battalions are surrendering and nearing collapse. But even if there's an end to this current, uh, let's say, round of fighting, Israel really is not out of the dark. What's going to really happen if or when Hamas is defeated? Can Hamas be defeated is the real question. Hamas is a lot of people. It's not just a leadership. There's a lot of public support for them, isn't there? There is. If there was an election, in not just in Gaza, but in the West Bank today, Hamas would probably win. Ah. Hamas is a movement, and it's a terrorist movement, which means its leaders don't wear uniforms. They can just melt into the background. The Israelis will never catch all of them. They'll catch a lot of their leaders. They'll catch people who appear to be fighters, but they're not going to catch all of them. And it's going to take a while to find a way to govern Gaza after Israel has done its military operation. It's going to occupy Gaza. There's talk of some type of interim government. I don't Obviously, Israel doesn't trust the Palestinian Authority. There are leaders of the Palestinian Authority who, who might be trusted to move in, I understand. 
for my friend Waleed Farris. You should have him on your show. He knows this better than I do. But there's also talk about trying to get the Gulf states and Egypt uh, and Saudi Arabia to play some kind of a role in rebuilding Gaza and and maybe somehow forming an interim government to, to bring stability. But I think it's going to be an unstable area for a long time. Well, there was a population of about a million Arabs in Gaza when the Israelis gave Gaza to, say, back to, to, to the Arabs under Ariel Sharon, his greatest political blunder after being a great general. I think he committed a great blunder. Uh, now there are two million Arabs. So there's no genocide going on against the Palestinian people in Gaza. The Israelis never called for genocide against the Palestinians. The Palestinians continuously call for genocide against the Jews, including the, the Harvard uh, president herself with her past answers by saying um, horrible things such as from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. What that means, Jews, Jews will be thrown into the sea. That's never going to happen. Israel, the Israelis would would go down like uh, uh, like in Masada, but this time they have nuclear weapons. They're not running out with a suitcase like they fled Poland in 1939. They're not leaving. It's a different uh, mindset. It's their land. They've been there for thousands of years. Many of the families know that. Of course, many came after World War II. That's well known, too. But without going into the deep history of the area, I don't see how this ever gets resolved. This week, Fred, Iran rejected a two-state solution in Israel, stating that all of Israel should be surrendered to the Palestinians. This is because the Biden regime emboldened the Iranian regime, is it not? I think that's right. And Biden shouldn't be talking about a two-state solution or any way that Gaza should be governed. He shouldn't be saying anything publicly that's undermining Israel's operation to secure its borders. And I mean, we've seen so much dictating and statements by Biden. It, it's I mean, the Israelis don't listen to him, but it's hurting uh, America's reputation in the world state even further. Iran is reflecting where Hamas is. They want a one state solution where Hamas and the radical jihadists, they control all of the land of Israel and, and, and the Israeli citizens either are kicked out or they're killed. That's exactly where Iran is. And this is going back to the original title that I gave to this podcast, Ukraine versus Israel. Why fully fund Israel, but not Ukraine? Because Russia is not demanding that Ukrainians leave Ukraine, are they, for example? Well, well no. In fact, Putin, <laughs> Putin has a twisted sense of history. He doesn't think Ukrainians exist. He thinks they're Russians. He doesn't think Ukraine is a legitimate state. He thinks it's part of Russia. He wants Ukrainians to join Russia because they're all part of the same ancient Rus people. He doesn't want to exterminate them. He wants them to join his state. If they fight against him, he will exterminate them. But he wants he thinks they should come in open arms and be Russians. That's a that's not where Hamas is. Well, Zelensky himself is a native Russian speaker, incidentally. People didn't know that he had to learn Ukrainian for this new job, a new job of his. One of his on the job trainings was to learn Ukrainian. The man is a Russian speaker, but that's that's almost irrelevant. It's pretty crazy. The whole situation over there to the average American who can't follow it. The average American thinks I don't want any more money going there. I want the money going to our veterans who are being kicked out of VA hospitals to, to treat illegal aliens. I want my border closed. I want my taxes lowered. That's what the American people want. And given that this is an, a presidential election year coming up, I think Biden's tune has to change rapidly 
towards a settlement in in Ukraine. But I noticed that the Biden administration is saying one thing, which, of course, what politicians do, that naughty Israel should not do this anymore. But they're sending them as much weaponry as as they want. Correct. You know, on Ukraine, I don't think Biden's going to change his view. I think he's going to keep saying we had to stand up to Putin and those those nasty republics are siding with, with, with the Russians. But I think on on Israel and Hamas, Biden is going to break with Netanyahu probably early in 2024 because his progressive base is so incredibly anti-Israel and anti-Netanyahu and anti-Semitic. And Biden cannot win when there are uh, 20-somethings running in in the streets in, in, in demonstrations with uh, uh, Genocide Joe posters. I think that is a huge threat to his reelection. And, you know, we're not going to break with Israel, but we're going to see public criticism from Biden of Netanyahu. Just just you wait. Fifty percent of uh, young people don't think the Holocaust existed now. Yeah. It's shocking how this and Biden needs those votes. And I but, think but how does this just... happen, Fred, in such a short period of time that so many people deny the Holocaust are on the side of terrorists? against Israel. How did this happen so quickly under Biden? Well, that's a topic for another day. It it didn't happen under Biden. It's deterioration of our educational system. It's a problem with popular culture. But I I think there's smarter people you could have on your show who could go over this with you. Maybe Richard David Hanson. I don't think he's smarter than you. I like his work, but I don't (laughs) think he's smarter than you are. Do you still keep in touch, if I may ask? I mean, your former Let's talk who you are. Frederick Flights, previously served as the chief of staff and executive secretary of the National Security Council from May through October 2018 under Donald Trump, your former CIA analyst. That's interesting to me. National Security Council. Who are they, Fred? What do they do? Well, the National Security Council is the president's staff that oversees all of the national security agencies to implement his policies. Uh, none of them are Senate confirmed. They're all appointed. Well, this, none of them are Senate confirmed. I guess a third of them are appointed by the president. The rest of them are detailed from government agencies. And a lot of the detailees were not loyal to President Trump. And that caused him enormous trouble oh. during his presidency. I was a political appointee to work in the NSC. And I had to work with the de- detailees. The ones I worked with were fine, but a lot of them were problems. Why did why did you leave after such a can I ask you May through this October 18 on the Trump? Did you leave on your own accord or you don't want to discuss it? It's fine. I, I don't really want to get into this. I will That's say fine. I got an incredible offer to okay. work elsewhere. And I spoke to some senior people at the NSC and they said, hey, we we hate to lose you, but you might do us more good returning to Fox News and doing your writing. <laughs> and uh, it was just an offer I couldn't refuse, but it was hard to leave. I enjoyed working Savage, home of borders, language, culture, the Savage Nation. Well, we could go into Trump at another time uh, if we were. So the main theme today is people say, wait a minute, you, you people are hypocritical. You want money for Israel, but no money for Ukraine. That's what I hear all the time. And I think that we've discussed today with you why we should fully fund Israel but not Ukraine, unless you have some final thoughts on that particular theme. I think Republicans are prepared to give the president what he wants in Ukraine if he secures the southern border. That's their compromise. 
I don't think they're going to continue that indefinitely. But the southern border is such a disaster. I think a lot of Republicans will hold their noses and vote for this Ukraine aid. I just don't know that Biden will make that deal because his progressive left won't let him. So the country's being ruined by the progressive left, as we all know. Yes. They're, they're unyielding. They're revolutionary. They won't stop until they win. They're maximalists in their positions. There's no compromise in the American left. And they're running Biden. Well, I mean, Biden gave in to the progressive left a long time ago to to win the nomination to be president in in, in 2020. And uh, he's pushed a lot of far left positions. He did wouldn't have supported as a U.S. senator that got him into office and it's been guiding his presidency. Well, we could go into what I think of Biden, which is irrelevant, which is that he's a man without a moral compass. He believes in nothing. He believes only in his own power. And uh, uh, we could go into the health issues and such because they're, they're irrelevant, because that will that uh, time itself will determine where that leads us. Fred, again, are there any final final thoughts? Because the Zelensky on one side, Putin on the other side. Netanyahu on one side and Hamas on the other. But I read that a lot of the leaders of Hamas are enjoying the lives of multimillionaires in Qatar, a country whose name I can never pronounce properly, Q-A-T-A-R, they call it Qatar, Qatar. They're living there like princes, like Arab princes. How is that? They possible? are. And there's a, bit, there's a bit of a divide between these leaders of Hamas uh, in Qatar and the ones who are running the show in Gaza, and it looks like there's some conflict between the two of them. The, the ones who are living in luxury are supposedly a little more moderate than the ones on the ground. I, I think we need to sort out who's really in charge, but uh, I, I think it's long past time for any nation who's harboring Hamas officials to turn them over to Israel for mm. uh, prosecution. Turn them over? I, I don't think that's going to happen to you. Well, uh, there was a great Wall Street Journal article last week that uh, after the war is done, Israel is going to go around the world and hunt down and kill every one of these Hamas. That's what I was gently referring to. It reminded me of the Munich massacre and the aftermath with that with that film Munich done by Spielberg, which was sort of dramatized it where they hunted down every one of the terrorists who killed the Israeli athletes in Munich. Mossad hunted them down to the ends of the earth, correct? That's right. And if you I have not looked at the video of the horrific rapes and murders and killings by Hamas on October 7th, this is more than justified. The U.S. is going to ask Israel not to do it. And those pleas are going to fall on deaf ears. So the Israelis will never forget. They'll never forget this. They can't forget. And Hamas has to pay a price for this. These Hamas leaders, they're going to. First of all, I think there was a meeting in Beirut before the attack where Hamas leaders gave the green light. There's a Wall Street Journal article mm. that said that shortly after the attack. Now the media is saying that that's not correct. Well, we need to get to the, to the bottom of that. I think Israel already has the answer. And uh, these Hamas leaders, they're going to be traveling with very heavy security uh, for the rest of their lives. Well, I don't think that heavy security matters in a time of, of uh, the kind of weapons that are out there on the planet today. Can I tell you one final story? Sure. Uh, the, 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 the father of Iran's nuclear weapons program, I, I, I can't remember his name exactly. He was a very high value target uh, by the Israelis. And in, 
in 2000, he was assassinated by a remote control machine gun <laughs> with heavy security while he was driving near Tehran. Uh, Israel did this remotely. Driving, and, driving where? He was driving near Tehran with high security. And uh, Israel used a remote controlled machine gun, a machine gun reportedly controlled from Israel. This is the kind of sophisticated from a, from a drone, from a drone. No, it was on the ground. There's <laughs> a remote control machine gun on the ground on the road in Iran somewhere, somewhere, somewhere outside of Tehran. I <laughs> mean, this is how determined how sophisticated Israeli intelligence is to go after Israel's enemies. Well, I, I hear you and it sounds great. And, uh, it leads us to one last question for me. I did a whole podcast on this after this massacre by Hamas, uh, this, this, this exterminating snuff film of what they did to Jewish women, for example. Yeah. How did this happen in a country with the greatest surveillance in the whole world? Israel has cameras that could read a postage stamp from 40,000 feet. Then there were reports that women in the IDF who were reporting odd behavior on the border with Gaza were told by their commanders to not repeat it or they'd be fired. That came out about three weeks ago that they'd be, they'd be court-martialed if they kept put. So then there's this theory that, that Netanyahu let this happen to coalesce the people behind him because he was in political trouble. I don't want to believe that. And I'm not asking you to confirm or deny that. How did this, how could this even happen, Fred, in a country so, with it, which it's a surveillance state. We're going to find after every major intelligence failure that there was evidence, there was intelligence that if, if it had been acted upon, the disaster could have been averted. And I think that Israel and probably the United States did have intelligence indicating this. The problem is in the intelligence world, there's a lot of noise and false reports. You don't know who, you don't know what to believe. Mm. But there's another problem here, and I think this was this is arrogance and lack of imagination. Israelis thought their technical means could never be overcome, and it didn't conceive. They didn't conceive of the possibility that Hamas would pull off something that was both simple, using these flying machines and bulldozers, and using drones to knock out a, a, a detection devices and surveillance devices on the border. It was a combination of of all these factors. I don't think it was a conspiracy, but it was a major intelligence failure, and I think heads have to roll for that. Well, heads have to roll. I think Netanyahu is the head of the government and he should resign after this is all over. I mean, it happened under his watch. You, 50 you, years ago, there was an intelligence failure for the Yom Kippur War, which was also a failure of imagination, of under underestimating what type of attacks the Arabs were capable of. It, it led to the overthrow of the Israeli government. Uh, some are saying that could happen again. Who was the PM at the time? When, when Israel's government fell after the... I, I, I knew that, and I can't recall it. Escaped it escaped you. It escaped me at the same time. It wasn't Golda Meir, was it? Uh, yes, yes, it was. I think it was Golda Meir. I wanted yes. to say Golda Meir, but she resigned. She had the yes. dignity to resign. She didn't yes. fight them tooth and nail to stay in power. She she had the dignity to, to go home and bake uh, a challah. Fred, it's horrible. The world... <laughs> The world that I see is so much worse than the world I saw when Trump was president. I know people want to hear that. And, and, and as flawed as he is, my God, it was a better world, wasn't it? There's no question. I, I, I mean, the world is so much more unstable than it was Biden when, when Trump was president. Uh, our economy is so much worse. Energy prices are so much higher. Crime in our cities 
Uh, there's no question the world and our country is much worse because of Biden, the Biden presidency. Okay, Fred, it's a pleasure to see you with such good uh, lighting and such good microphone quality, better than mine. I, I constantly work to get my lighting right. Yours is perfect. You say it's fluorescent lights overhead. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> I have all these studio lights that I bought and the lighting is never, never right. Yeah, I just got lucky. Oh. No, your studio looks good. But your, your message yesterday on Newsmax was superb. And I think you, you. You, you were like Babe Ruth uh, in Yankee Stadium. I mean, you just knocked it out of the park. And I'm so um, grateful that you agreed to come on the show so quickly. And all I can say is, whatever you're doing, please keep on doing it, Fred. The world needs the honesty and integrity of Fred Flights. Thank you very much again. Will do. Let's do this again soon. Okay, thanks, Fred. Have a great day. Savage. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.